Welcome to the Far Q, where we are the podcast that invites conversations about various access to equities within the context of Aotearoa. We invite guests to share their lived experience in an effort to identify common threads within support systems, social networks, and knowledge that uplifts the collective human experience. Season one's question is, Kelsey? What does equity and support look like for various communities coexisting within one society? And today we have the... The most precious flower to bloom from concrete. Mm. Who's not afraid to be? Who's who's not? Who doesn't even operate in closed-mindedness? Like that's 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 where I'm gonna go with that. But I also want to uplift the man of um of your claim to yourself and your self determination and your autonomy. Who are you? And can you finish the sentence? I am a (gasps) narcologist. Everyone. Mm-hmm. Can can you just please explain what that means for, for, for anyone who's new to the term narcoologist? Uh, someone who uses their heart to facilitate their words, their lived experience and their practice and their service to others. Mm. Beautiful. That was pretty profound, eh? Yeah, I'm just letting that like simmer, simmer in. <laughs> Like onions, it needs to simmer on the pan mm. for me because I'm like, I'm still trying to figure out that taste. And then that taste is just like, the taste is challenging me all everywhere, if I'm being honest. But at the same time, it's uh, pretty deep. But how, do, how does it, how does it, how do you operate knowing that that's who you are in a, in a society that doesn't operate like that? I think, I think I used to work from a space of survival. I think when you know that you're born and bred, so I was born and bred in Tokoro at age six, um, (laughs) and you have a community of people that sound like you, look like you, feel like you, serve like you, talk like you, and then you move to a different place and space and you realise actually... You're the only one that does that. Um, it's easy to move into survival mode. So I think initially that's where most of my working career um, was based because I had to sort of figure out how I could be without offending, um, being challenged in a quite a negative way and still do what I wanted to do to contribute to the world. When you talk about offending, yes, is that like offending others for the way that you operate? Yeah, yeah. I think um, one of my greatest learnings in life was um, being a part of a team that weren't quite ready for the way that I practised. Um, I was questioned for questioned about how I used to be with people, how I used to care for people, how I used to teach people um, and support people because it was different from what was written in a policy or a book. Mm. Um, And because my book was created through my community, through my Cook Island community, through my Māori community, that's affiliated to my my yummy darling. He looks like the rock, mm. but he's got a puku. Um, 
still yum. Um, they're all I'm quite connected to both because they all they all function from the heart. And um, so when you're working alongside people who aren't used to that, who are used to um, engaging in only their minds, um, it can be really challenging. So the offence or the offending is really just about the political statement of me being present. Um, and it, that's what makes it difficult is, is there's, you know, one of the students yesterday um, that I have the privilege to engage in says to me, oh, oh Mama Rose, you know, it's, you know, it's so good to see brown people in the space. And I was like, yep, it'll just get better from here. You know, that's that's my dream anyway, is that there's more people in the spaces of isolation, especially when we're looking about um, talking about um, diverse communities. It's not that diverse when I can't see my own people in the Mm. in the room. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Or at the table of decisions, too. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, drop drop Winnie Labour now. (laughs) <laughs> drop her, drop her. We need it. We need to drop her right now. Yeah, we do, Doctor Winnie Laven. She, um, yeah, she's a pretty profound uh, Pacifica woman. She, she shared a gem with a, a cluster of people that came together. When was that? A couple of years ago, I mm. think. And and pretty much said, if you're not if you're not sitting at the table, you're on the menu. And Aww. that's that's always resonated with me. I've always, yeah. One, I think, and I think what that did was um, when you got four pretty voluptuous Pacifica people who have travelled in a very small car to Wellington <laughs> um, to listen to those profound mm-hmm. words, you can imagine what the conversation was like coming back to mm. um, driving back from Wellington back to Kirikiriroa. We were we were amped, we were amped and on fire. Mm. It was just so good. Yeah. And she planted that seed, which was awesome. So thank you. Thank mm. you, Mama Winnie. You rock. I've never heard of it from that perspective before, but I I I guess like I've also um like what am I trying to say? I've not heard of it from that perspective before, but I also am aware that like if you're not at the table, how are you supposed to be how is your community supposed to be advocated for? Mm. Yeah, and diversity of thought doesn't advocate for that. No, and like people who haven't had that lived, who haven't had that lived experience, can only advocate so far. So, like, if there was, like, something that I can resonate with is like when a lot of the heterosexual community are making decisions on the rainbow or the queer community, on behalf of them, when they can have empathy for that community, but they can't really have perspective on it because they're not being through it. Yeah. I think I think I'm I'm of the mind that I believe the intent is genuine. Mm-hmm. I think um, anyone or everyone that's sitting at a table making decisions about a community have the right intent. Mm-hmm. What I'm really clear about is they're limited in their ability to make the right decisions because they haven't lived our experiences. Yeah, and so. <coughs> You know, you hear all the catchphrases like culturally responsive practice or be culturally appropriate. And for me, it's really, if you if you haven't had our lived experiences, it's really hard for you to make decisions about what's going to work best. Mm. 
mm-hmm. because you have no idea. You, when you're trying to explain to someone um, how best to work alongside a Pacific or Māori person who's in need, I have to use examples like, um, have you ever been in a position where you've missed a meal? Have you ever been in a position where you haven't been able to top up your phone? Have you ever been in a position where your car has run out of gas and you've got five kids that you've committed to getting to school and they're going to have to walk three miles? Mm-hmm. And so asking those types of questions um, can help you sift out or help them assess whether they're the right people to be sitting at the table. Um, and that's not to exit them out because you want to you want to utilise that intent in the right way and to manifest it in the right way so that it's going to benefit our communities across the board. Yeah. Mm. The quote that's coming to mind is, the road to hell is um, paved in good intentions. Yeah. And to me, I feel like that's literally the accurate outlook when we're looking at governance and operations. And Mm. it's like the governance have great intentions and all of those intentions are literally... (laughs) It's like to me, it's mm-hmm. kind of productive and it invalidates our lived experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if we looked at our lived experiences and the recipe that contributes to the lived experiences, yeah, created by them and their systems. And then when we try to help ourselves within these systems, we can't because we're not at the governing board. So it's like, okay, so you cull us here. And then when we're alive enough to like bring out our lives and like, and like and support ourselves and we have the intelligence to support ourselves from within, you still cull us from underneath and undertake like like an undercurrent you pull us back to where where you've put us in society to mm. begin with mm. so to me intentions is great for someone else yeah yeah and i think that's the and i think that's why um, when i talk about the lived experience through that lived experience you develop your own intelligence mm. You know, so when people use the word intelligence, you know, when I was growing up, intelligence meant you knew how to read a book or you knew how to, you know, add numbers together and, um, you know, when we consider... white man's tongue. Yeah, or heart out. So when you know that intelligence is really about our knowing, if we can manifest intent, intelligence, and maximise on our intuition we know that we could um, follow the right direction. You know, if our gut's sitting in the right way, so, you know, our corpus feeling good, our ngako's feeling good, our manukau's feeling good, everything's aligned, um, then we can move forward mm. and make the right decisions. But, um, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right about um, intention only goes so far. And I think... I think we can sort of think about people in our lives that have had uh, the right intent but haven't moved in any action for our community mm. but are still sitting at the table. Um, so Gatekeepers. Yeah. <laughs> that's the nice word. Mm. Yeah. Mm. No, that's that's beautiful. Um, I feel like we don't even need a job. Well, we don't have to ask about the different communities. But if you were to, to so speaking from your lived experiences, can you um, name a few communities that you either used to belong to, still belong to, or um, still adding value to it some way, shape, or form? Um, I think I've already talked about. So I was born and bred in Tokoro, uh, to a very strong Cook Island community. Um, 
and they are still very strong today. Is that still the sixteenth star for always? Always. That, that shouldn't even be questioned. <laughs> um, I don't know what you were mother thinking. Mother hard, mother hard. What, what, what were you thinking? I don't even doubt. Uh, <laughs> but I think I um I had so many um wonderful role models growing up in my Cook Island community. Um, but a lot of them are passing away, you know, a lot of them, you know, you realise you come to the stage where you go, oh, my God, where did everybody go? Um, so I like to, well, I try to honour them by thinking about some of the attributes and the and the things that I've observed in them to make sure that I'm doing the same thing. Um, the other community is my Ngāti Kuruki Kahukura family that adopted me when I... Um, when I married my Yami darling. And I, I mean, Dal and I have only been married for a short while, but um, we share four children together. Um, Karipi is our eldest daughter. She's I'm super proud of her. She's an amazing artist, a performing artist, but um, she brings nothing but humility and humour to our whānau. Mm. Um Atafai is our media star. If, you, if you've never heard of her, then you actually don't live in our community. <laughs> um, so she's she's uh, made made some massive moves in her life. Um, Teodidi is my early retirement plan. <laughs> um, she's our accountant, and Jimmy's my son who lives in Brisbane. And they've gifted darling my our six grandchildren, our six mokupuna. So. Um, yeah, the community I live in is their world. Mm. You know, that's where, that's my preference. If I could do that as a full-time job, I would. Um, it's just something about being with your mukos that makes life worth living. Mm. And it's really hard to talk to because until you're in it, um, my my parents my, my parents used to say that about my kids. You know, when I had my children and they're like, oh, you just, you just don't know what this is like. And you actually can't express it. There's just the space of being when you have uh, a descendant sitting at your feet and you think, oh man, what am I going to, what am I going to gift this child? <laughs> you know, what am I going to gift them so that they can move forward in life knowing that they're safe and uh and they're powerful, and they're confident, and they're loving, and um, and they can sit in humility and integrity, and never have to learn the lessons that I have learned, and because you just want to protect them, and um, especially from the lollies that their grandfather gives them and stuff <laughs> like that. So, but yeah, no, there's yeah. So that's the that's the community I live in is um, one of Tupuna. Mm. Um, as a grandparent, there's huge responsibilities. You know, I can sort of sit back now and think, oh, well, I tried my hardest as a parent. Um, I'm I'm pretty confident that, you know, should I pass this earth, my girls would have something nice to say about me and my son would have something nice to say about me. Um, but it's, it's my grandchildren, it's what they say about me that matters. Yeah, that would make the difference about whether I've contributed to the world or not. Mm. I feel like being in the the grand, grand, grandparent space, is there any support for someone who's actually a new grandparent? Like, Or is it just like, boom, 
you're a grandparent. Because no, I feel like you no. spoke you spoke on some really heavy topics around like what does succession look like? Yeah. And then it's like, how how did you learn succession? As was it through being a grandchild yourself? No, I th- I think what happens is is when when our um, when our grandson was born, so the Kurutai Fukuya is going to be he starts college next year. Um, so when he was born, and when you're holding this child in your hands, it's like. Um, I don't know, you can call it vital, you can call it whatever you like. It's just this um, overwhelming feeling of responsibility and it's different from when you are a parent. It's different because you realise this is your legacy. Mm. And um, when I think about when he was born, quite naturally other grandparents in our community and our families gravitated to us. So I think what happens is you just become this network, you know, this network of grandparents because you get to share the similar stories and, oh, this is what me and my muku does. It comes, it's a little bit of a competition actually now mm. when I think about it. <laughs> you know, oh, me and my muku bake some cakes today, you know, and I'm like, oh, girl. And I think about my grandparents because um, my two grandmothers especially were hugely influential on me. Um my mum's mum was, she was a craft was, you know, she had this sewing room that was like Disneyland to me because there were buttons and beads and she used to make plaster moulds and chess sets and stuff like that. I used to love that space. And so I've created the same space in my office so that my, my mokos can come in and they go through my shelves and they're searching for stuff that they shouldn't be touching really, but um, just that space to explore so that they're near me when I'm doing my work, just like I used to do with my um, my grandmother. And same with my nena. Um, she was always out in the yard, you know, with her flowers and her veggies. And so I've just planted my my veggie garden. Well, actually, my yummy darling did, but... Um, <laughs> But I'm telling everyone I did. Uh, but I'll be able to have those experiences with my grandchildren. Yeah. But I don't think we had. There's no book. Mm. You know, there's mm. no book that says how you're supposed to be a tupuna. It's like with a parent. You know, mind you, there are lots of how to be a parent books now, eh? But not not to be a grandparent. Yeah. I love it anyway. Mm. I love being in. I love being big ma. Because I guess to me, I'd like to think or I'd like to imagine that because you learnt through being a grandchild how beautiful and uplifting your grandparents were to you, yeah. that's something that's already ingrained in your DNA to yeah. actually pass it on and succeed that on in some way, shape or form, but from your nuance of lived experience. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, in some of the hardest times too, in some of the hardest times I think about... Um, their warmth, you know, their warmth and their support. Like, I had a pretty colourful um, history in life with um, one being unwell, so I've had cancer twice. Um, and I remember the first time I was sick, my grandmother had Alzheimer's dementia. And it was so funny, she came up to me, because she, by this stage she had progressed that far in her illness that, 
she thought I was my brother's girlfriend, um, and um, which was interesting in itself. Mm. And um, but I remember her. She took she put my face in her hands and she just looked at me. And she says, "You know, you're going to be okay." And she had no idea that I was unwell because um, she at that point she was quite quite sick. And I just thought, and I held that, I held on to that um, during treatment and stuff. And I thought, yeah, no, that was really cool because I really believed that she knew I was unwell. She knew exactly who she was talking to. Um, so I hold on to those experiences um, that I've had with my grandparents to get me through some challenging times. Um, so that was a big one. That was a, and I was always really grateful, grateful for that experience, that interaction. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. Just saying. Mm. Is there anything that you learnt from raising your children? Any of those lessons that you've gifted to your children for when they're raising their own? Mm. I'm not too sure. God, that's a curly question. I'd like I'd like to think I've taught them patience. Um not not so much with other people, but with themselves. Mm. Mm. I don't think I was that patient with myself as a parent. I think I had huge expectations of myself about what I was supposed to do, mm. how I was supposed to look in public with my children. It didn't help that they all looked like licorice all sorts. <laughs> and like um, the... You know, I remember one interaction with this uh, person who approached me in the dairy and I had, you know, I had this double pram thing and I threw all my kids, <laughs> all my four kids into this pram because it was just easier to mm. travel that way. And he says, oh, are these, are these all your children? And I said, yeah, yeah, they're, you know, they all got different, you know. They're all, they're all very different, aren't they? He says, hmm, you know, sort of looked at me and I thought, and, you know, straight away it, it, it plants this doubt. Mm-hmm. It plants this doubt, just that one interaction. I thought, oh, what did I do wrong here? You know, what's wrong with my kids? And I thought, I washed their face. And I said, oh, nobody's got a runny nose. So it's those, you become quite sensitive to your environment as a parent. So I'd like to think that I I have taught them to understand to be patient with themselves. I think it's so easy to lose yourself in doubt as a parent um, if you're not patient with yourself. Mm. That's the only thing I can think of right now. I'm sure there's a massive list. I'm sure they could provide a massive list (laughs) (laughs) of things that I'd need to uh, improve on. Mm. (laughs) Now, Mm. you spoke about um, cancer, beating it twice. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Tell us, tell us about that journey, if you like, and if, if, and what support was there at the beginning of that journey? Because I feel like, mm. one, the person that I see now and the person that I've met mm. was after that journey, and I like, I'm so thankful that you went through that journey. But that's my perspective. Mm. From you, I'd love to hear about the starting of that journey. Um, what's to tell? I. How that journey started was I was sitting in the kohanga reo and Jimmy, my son, was sitting on my lap and they used to have a doctor visit the kohanga. And um, 
at the time my hair my hair was really long, so I used to sit on my hair. And um, it was out that day, and the I remember the doctor just looked at me. She goes, "Oh my god, have you seen your neck? Well, you're a, you're a mother of four. You don't look in the mirror." You know, so I was like, no. So she took me to the mirror and um, it was all, like swollen. You know, that's the best way to describe it. Mm. And I was like, and then I thought, oh, that doesn't look right. <laughs> 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 and two days later I was in surgery. Oh, and wow. um, so it, everything sort of progressed really quickly. And um, Dal and I didn't really have an opportunity to process. We hadn't told anybody. Uh, treatment didn't go that well in way of my body changing, um, being sore. As pe- I think people think that, well, in my experience, I think people think that once you've had an operation or you've had treatment that it's okay, mm. but it's actually after because your body's still in trauma. And I really believe that my body's still paying for it. Um, mm. You know, because, you know, this body used to be an athlete. Still it's is. Quite, yeah, oh, on the, yes, it is. I um, just, I just heard of the mind. term creative athlete or creative <laughs> fitness. <laughs> and I think, I think too, that people from my past and my community, um, when they see me, because, you know, I'm quite voluptuous, um, <laughs> And gorgeous that way, are uh, quite surprised, especially when they knew me as an athlete, because I used to do a lot of track meets and stuff, and I've got a few awards that are still outstanding um, in the Waikato. And um, you know, I don't have, I don't want to have to explain to them, oh well, you know, my hormones don't roll like everybody mm. else's, and. You know, I don't want to have to blurb out to them that I've had cancer because people move really quickly from empathy to sympathy and then you're mm. like, I'm not living, I don't want to live the victim space. Mm. So you sort of just, you know, crack a joke, crack a joke and just carry on. Mm. Um, but I guess that just comes with human nature and people making judgments about not understanding the path that we've walked. Um which is, I'm grateful for because it's, in my experience, it's made me think about other people's journeys. So when I'm in, talking to somebody new, I never make assumptions about what their journey is, which is probably why I'm so nosy and I like to ask them um, so that I can work with that and they can work with me and we can connect on a different level. But the... Um, I think the experience for me and being sick twice uh, took me on a journey around what did I do wrong? Yep, so that was the first one. Um, The first time I was sick was, oh, what did I do wrong, universe? What did I do wrong um, that I haven't done right, that I've got to learn? What lesson do I have to learn through this process? And because the... um, those people who are familiar with the thyroid gland, it controls all your cells in your body. I don't have one anymore. And um, and I related, I sort of had to go deep within myself and reflect and I thought, well, it's related to the throat and the, the place where your voice is processed. And I thought, okay, 
okay, um, I need to find my voice. And so when I set on the journey of healing to find my voice, it was a pretty traumatic one. You know, there was one one stage there. Um, I decided to parent on my own um, to create space. Um, there were a few people that I thought were really good supports for me that I discovered they weren't. Um, so they they got shifted to the curb. Um, so there was a massive transformation that occurs when you're exploring who you are and what and and seizing the opportunity to share your voice. And I remember I, one of my nephews asked me in the weekend, we had an unveiling and he says to me, oh, auntie, how do you know what your voice is? And I cracked up laughing and I went, well, it depends if you're singing soprano boy or alto, you know, because <laughs> I was thinking, <laughs> I, I said, only you can determine what your voice is, you mm. know, and I, th- I relate my voice to my purpose and my purpose is around... Um, you know, disrupting the cultural fabric as it lays today um, to cater to our Pacifica communities, uh, which isn't an easy position to be in, but I love it. I love it. I think my lived experiences have prepared me for that, um, whether it be being sick or um, having to lose my superheroes in my life to remind me, oh, yep, Okay, I need to tap into the strength and yeah. So yeah, it's a, I'm I'm grateful for the experience. Mm. I think it's I think it's promoted gratitude in my life. Um, it's nothing like worrying about dying to make you really appreciate what you have. Mm. And so I'm pretty grateful to get up in the morning and breathe. I'm sure there's a few other people out there that are too. Mm. Mm. And it, like I think for you around um, life is so short, like what the average age is of, of life expectancy is around 70 to 80 between males and females. Yeah. But that's 70 to 80 years in relation to like 3,000 years of earth, you know, yeah. like so in my head when I think of like in, in relativity I'm like that's such a small time and it's like the real challenge is how do we like you know leave a legacy so your legacy could be for your mukapuna or your legacy could actually be intellectual property or a book of sorts or something like that and I think for me we're not focused like society like what I'm really hearing is society's not focusing on the longevity of, of, of each individual experience we're focusing on what matters for the majority right now too yeah, and that time space is like we're, we're only caring about outcomes to fit the now. And I'm like, that's detrimental to the longevity of our people's issues and our, our people's plight and our people's journey because we're so focused on the now. And, and like for like me... the short-term benefits rather than like making sure that our children are going to and their children and their children are going to have a safe space to live. Mm. Mm. But that's our thoughts in the now. Mm. Did you have similar fakaro as you were growing up in this intellectual space or in the academy? Because I, I I don't want to be egotistic about it and say that oh this is a revolutionary thought oh, like well, you we probably don't be egotistical now we don't want to be sitting <laughs> in that space. That's funny. That's funny you bring it up because I think um, 
when when you use the description of in the now, I think about being present. So, mm. um, so any interaction that I'm having with a person or a place or a space has to have some sort of lesson or or meaning attached. And I know that sounds real wee wee wah wah, but I'm that's just how I roll. Um, so even in this space now, sitting with Fark you, it's like, okay, what's what's the, what's the intention here? And it won't come until I go away and reflect. Um, but it's just knowing that I'm I'm aligned. It's making sure my mind and my heart and my my belly are aligned, and that I'm being truthful, speaking my truth, because I can only speak my truth. I can't mm. speak for the collective. I can only speak for my truth and my intentions around wanting to contribute to the world and making a difference. I do, um, I do think that there is a balance around being present currently, but still having an eye on the future. I think um, one of the privileges I have is working alongside some of our Ngati Kuruki family with the sustainability projects, you know, we've we've just moved into the Papakoinga, we've built nine homes, um, the the places just, you know, just feel really blessed. And um, as a as a extended family, we're tight, mm. but we're all working together. We've got a mara kai happening, or have a mara rungwa, you know, medicinal garden, all those sorts of things that will cover us long term. Mm. So even though in the now is actually just sitting in my lounge and looking up at Maungatauteri, the the benefits of being in the now is overseeing the work that's being done mm. by the people that are working on the whenua at the time. And um, yeah, so I think there's a little bit of a balance. I'm not too sure what the recipe is. You can only just... Um, Walk your own truth. Walk your own truth, and hope that your contribution is meeting the needs of everybody. And even if it doesn't, you know, I'm thinking sometimes, sometimes just meeting the needs of yourself is what's required. One hundred percent. And do you what? Do you think that there's some support? Lacking in that space, or do you reckon that support's already there, and we need to seek out that support? Oh no, I don't. I don't think the support's there. I think, you know, when I, I've got a um, really cool brother, Ricky Solomon, who's doing a lot of work mm. in the suicide prevention space, uh, utilising Matariki to support our our young people, you know, young people who in the now think that the option is suicide. Mm. So I don't think, um, and I'm not saying... I can't make any comments around because I've never... I have been in dark places. I have been in dark places. Um, I suppose it could be clinically diagnosed as depression in my lowest spaces um, where I felt like I haven't wanted to be in this world. But um, for some reason, whatever that reason is, I opted to stick around. Um, but I yeah I don't think there is enough sports uh, supports out there to help us guide and facilitate the now. Mm. I don't think there is. I, don't, I think we've got heaps of evidence that say that we don't. 
Yeah. Even even um, dealing with health issues in the community, not just mental health. Um, I'm talking about physical health, you know. You's making me walk down to BB today was a great thing, you know. We don't have that facilitated support um, for everybody. So um, there's huge areas in the now that need to be supported. Mm. Um, I see that every day with people who are struggling to read, you know, at the age of 32 um, because they haven't had anyone be present for them in the now when they were younger. Mm. Um, so try and rectify that. By being present. Mm. I like it because you're talking about coming at it from all angles as opposed to just thinking about the future only or thinking about the now only. Yeah. Like there needs to be work on all levels. Yeah. I think it needs to be multi-layered. You know, we wouldn't be holistic beings if we weren't thinking about things being multi-layered, you know. I don't know, what's a cake that's multi-layered, you know, like a cake. Like a trifle. Like a trifle. Yeah, well, could be a trifle. Like a trifle. Trifle's gross. It's not What? Gluten. It's not gluten-free. I don't like trifle. I think it's disgusting. Oh. Too many textures. Ugh. Oh, my gosh. So gross. Wait, trifle like with moist, peanuts. And then twi- like, trifle with peanuts is a knife. Who does peanuts? <laughs> um, who does that? Oh, Lucille, that's you know, all. You know who. You know who. Really? Mm. Dim, wow. mm. It's so I, sad. The, the first time I saw peanuts... Inside my trifle, I honestly wanted to cry. Like I'm like, this is Christmas, and this is probably the only. That's really sad. Yeah, I feel for you. The mm. trauma is real. Yep. Still experiencing it. <laughs> trifle trauma. Oh. <laughs> trifle trauma. The two Oh. <laughs> this, this is this. It's you two and this because it's like we turn everything that's serious into a joke. <laughs> It gets Trifle too heavy. It's that in the now thing, though. I think it gets too heavy sometimes. I think sometimes we get our conversations go to a space where it's just like, oh my god, that feels really heavy. You need to take a breath, kind of thing. Yeah, mm. need to mm-hmm. take a breath. Crack a joke about peanuts, and we all goods. <laughs> <laughs> peanuts, nuts. I think that multi-layered, like corridor that you were just like having, also lends itself to having to navigate different spaces and places as one person like I've witnessed Joseph have to, have to navigate being Pacifica but also being a gay male um, out in the world and in, and in some spaces it's easier and in other spaces it's not at yeah. all um, and supporting Joseph to have the autonomy to decide when he well, I mean obviously he can't <laughs> Pretend to be like not Pacifica because he's very visually Pacifica, um, but like yeah, I'm Pacifica passing. I'm oh Samoan no. passing. You know, like these, these, <laughs> they, they say that these like you, these white passing like islanders. I'm Samoan passing. Like everyone yeah. always mistakes me for a Samoan, yeah. which I actually don't mind because I do have a little bit of Samoan in me somewhere. Yeah. So I'm like I like so I, like my Fukado around. If you mistake me for any Motu on the on the Moana. I don't give a I, I don't give a rat's ass, but if you mistake me for something outside of the Moana, I'm like that's when I'm like no, mm. sorry my lineage and this this DNA is rooted in the Moana, so I'm like I'm, do not mistake me for anywhere else. Yeah, yeah but I, I I can relate to that because a lot of my work related tasks were around facilitating te reo and tikanga modules mm. and experiences on the marae and 
and people made the assumption I was Māori and I am. I'm Cook Island Māori. So, and then when you try to, you know, when they're, oh, which which iwi are you from? And I'm going, oh, Ngati Putukati, Te Maruatui, you know, um, and Pamati, and they're like, and they're going, oh, is that in Gisborne? (laughs) You know, and so you're left um, questioning about whether you're supposed to validate to them or help them understand and I suppose for me it's around, oh, what investment in this relationship yeah. do I want to have? Mm-hmm. What yeah. I, what investment do I want to make in this interaction? Because, you know, I think about um, my relationship with Joe and I immediately make the assumption that he will back me, mm. you know. Oh, I need you to do this for me. Can you do this for me? Mm. But that's only because I know that we have a reciprocity that's, you know, and you know, set in iron ore. You know, it's not it's not steel. It's more than that. It's an iron ore. It's set in the whenua. It's set in the inua. It's um, it's deeper than the surface relationships that I might have with people. In in my day to day life, or the guy at the BP, you know, yeah. or the mind you, I'm quite nice to the people at the BP when they make my coffee. So um. Yeah, I think it's determined by what sort of what sort of connection do I want to make with this person? Do I want to open myself up to them and say, "Hey, look, actually, mm. you know, Cook Island Maori would refer to me being connected to the Cook Islands," you know, and have a deep and meaningful. But that's that's a choice thing, mm. and sometimes I think we get it gets hoha. Yeah. Yeah. It gets tiring. It gets yeah. tiring having to. Because um, I think about battle fatigue. Yeah. Oh, mate. Oh, don't go there with the racial <laughs> battle yeah, fatigue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it. <laughs> oh, I just start a whole new. <laughs> we need we another have to hour. Do, an, do another session <laughs> around. For those of you who don't know what racial battle fatigue, Google it. Mm. But um, but yeah, it's it's tiring. Yeah. It's tiring because alongside of people making assumptions about your identity, they're making assumptions about your worth and your value. And see, that's the, that, that's exactly my problem when I see other people seeing us relate. Because yeah. when we relate, we relate at a level that it's, it's so playful, it's so um, like chill and calm and it's so fluid, but they don't understand the, the great depths of work that has to be done from the underneath yeah. to build that trust and that love yeah. and that connection. Yeah. And for us, I think because we're so used to wanting and seeking and yearning for that type of connection, mm. that it's it's like, I guess you can see it from an outside as it's, it's easy to, to, to build that trust. And I'm like, it takes a lot of hard work to actually understand and relate to somebody mm. at, a, at that level of depth. Yeah. And then... For people who, like, I think what I get annoyed about is that people see us being so, like, you know, um, nonchalant and cavalier with mm. each other that they, they, they assume that they can be with like, be with mm. us like that as well. So whenever people come through saying, hey, girl, to me, <laughs> knowing full well that I'm flamboyant, I'm like, firstly, we do not fuck with each other like that. So fuck <laughs> you. 
And secondly, <laughs> you have not built that fucker for Nonga Tonga continuously, not one time, no. continuously with me. And it's that reciprocity that you said. And I think for me, I just wanted to highlight that specifically because it is a lot of hard work to try and connect with somebody. And you have to have the ears, the time, the effort, the energy. And if you haven't got all of those things, it just seems like an easy relationship. Like, oh, Joe's, Joe, Joe's an easygoing guy. And I'm like, I'm not a fucking easygoing guy. I've got a lot of experiences to me and I choose who I share that with. That's right. And because uh, the the facade or the myth is, oh, Rose loves everybody. Mm-hmm. And so when you make the I've statement. I've people say that. I have actually. And it's so funny because I go, when, when I was in, I think there might have been 30 people in this space. And and the statement was like, oh Rose just loves everyone because we were welcoming a new person into our into our space and mm. I was like no I don't <laughs> I'm extremely I'm extremely selective and then there's this nervous giggle because people think I'm joking mm. and then when I look I'm like and I'm and I turn to my own peeps and I go I'm not joking and then we laugh. <laughs> And, and they don't realise we're laughing at the fact that they're laughing but not realising that I'm laughing because it's like, I'm being honest. Mm. I'm being honest because I respect people and I will work my um, work my heart and my soul and my hands to make sure that I respect people. But I don't love easily. I've, I've been, you know, I've been damaged. I've opened my heart on many occasions where people have you know, grabbed it out of my chest and, and, and chewed it up and spat it out. And that's out of, and in the context of um, service, that may be that you I've put a whole lot of effort into something to work really hard to serve others and it's just been dismissed. Or um, Leeches, come on, you need to go there. Yeah, there's massive leeches. <laughs> Roaches, leeches, <laughs> you name it, they're there. But I think um, I try not to spend too much energy on focusing on on the insects. Yeah. I the, try not to oh, do I that. See, I see where you go from there. The insignificance of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, shit. Mm. Did you see that? Mm. Right, just like that. That's what connection does. Creates. <laughs> just saying. I think that experience can can be transferred into lots of different kinds of spaces and places too. Like I know mm. that... Um, there is a activist uh, writer person named Lena Dunham and she had once said that she wished that she had had an abortion so that she could speak on this topic and advocate for that community. And I was like, Wow. Um, Does she really that's say a that? really damaging Bacardo to have and to put out into the world mm. just because you want to be able to relate to that community. You can advocate for them and you can be empathetic for them, but if that's not a space or place that, like, I guess it depends on the situation, but you've been privileged to be part of or unprivileged to be part of. It's going to be really, really damaging. I suppose, I suppose those those types of... Um and I call that a gift to the world when somebody shares their voice and their truth. It allows us to sort of reflect and position where we see ourselves mm-hmm. in the world. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful for her for Karo because when I, the irony is, is I sat with someone today who works so hard to conceive, mm. you know. So um, 
when you think about um, the fact that someone wants to go through a process of abortion to have the experience so she can sit and advocate, well, sit with someone that's had to go through a process Mm -hmm. to try and conceive. Mm -hmm. Because it wasn't a pleasant journey that was shared with me today. And, um, you know, and I sat there in my humility and... um, because I didn't want to move to a space of guilt. It's not my fault I'm fertile. You know, mm. I was fertile and I was able to have children. And um, But it was just really awesome to celebrate mm-hmm. um, this conception of this child. But I guess that's, I mean, that's the, I said, oh, that's the power of voice, eh? Mm-hmm. That's the power of voices is people are going to share their opinions and that's going to gift us an opportunity to reflect and position ourselves in the world about what it is that we like and what we don't like, mm-hmm. how we will be, what we will do. Wow, that's out of it for Carol. Mm. I feel like I almost have to say my saying now. I'm like, <laughs> my lived experience is not a case study <laughs> that you can fucking like say sorry about. Like, it's, that is the mess that that's so messed up to me. I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. like. Woof. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to say it, like to, to, to speak to that because I'm like that on all levels and especially like that level. Oh, why would you go there? I know when I heard it because I, That's I not really connection. respect her as a writer and I've, and I've found a lot of um, like I really enjoyed a couple of her books and stuff. And then when I heard that, I was like, oh, like it can just be one thing mm. that completely puts you off someone. But then again, on the flip side to that, I think support actually looks as well for me anyways, is we should not get like, because I feel like for me, I have, so I'm projecting right now, but Mm. I have a massive tendency to to hold that person's in time, that person's energy that they gave to me in that time. So it could have been last week or last year where they really tainted like the essence Mm of like I've seen, I saw them in a different light. And when I see them in a different light, it's like. I don't know how else to see you in a in a yeah. in, 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 in a in a better light because I'm like you showed me your true essence mm. for free and I I'm like you didn't expect the repercussions for me to be like I don't want to talk to or I don't want to connect with you again and then for them to yeah. keep on coming back and yeah. I'm like how it's do I support really you in that to be like I don't want to be your friend anymore <laughs> but isn't the isn't the idea though. That, that would just mark a part of her learning journey. Mm. That's part Go of there. her learning journey. So because you've read some of her other things and, you know, you connected with it and then she's come to the space, it would indicate that she's she's moved to this disruption space and she just hasn't mm. been able to navigate it properly. Mm. Or maybe she has because it's prompted a more powerful thinking process, a reflection process with you. Because I, I think about my growth alongside Joe and he's not the same person I met a few years ago. Thank God. I know. Thank goodness, right? I know, I'm so grateful. So grateful. (laughs) But but I think about, but there, Mm. the reality is, is because um, you've had more lived experience, more opportunities to be gifted both written literature, oral literature, the experience and environment with people I don't think we, I don't think we stagnate. I'd be, I wouldn't hang with anyone that was singing the same song, you know, 10, 10 years later, you know, flick you to the cube, flick you to the cube, because that just indicates that they haven't grown. Mm. 
Mm. I'm glad we've both lasted this long. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been in it longer than me, so your mm. resilience is amazing. True. Yeah. You you did you did hold. Well, oh, I thought you were talking about we were talking about Rose, but I guess we're talking about me. <laughs> I'm like you've known Rose for a long time, so no, you you. No, we're talking about you. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> I am sexy, aren't I? Okay, moving on. <laughs> All right, so tell us, in your opinion, um, what are topics in the FAQ that you would like to be seen more openly talked about? Oh, wow. So is there any any topics? So it it could be from anywhere of your lived experience, but what are topics that you feel like are taboo or like people have mum eyes that are not actually talk like we're not talking about it, but we really need to start addressing these topics. So the whole point of the FAQ is on this I, oh, isn't that interesting? So in my meditation uh, this morning, uh, hope would be uh, a concept or an idea that could be discussed. I think um, I think it sort of got a little bit, I don't want to say exhausted or over embellished during the mm-hmm. COVID, the lockdown thing, because, you know, everyone was trying to be really positive and um, support everyone with a grieving process through the lockdown period, and we're still, we're still feeling the impact of that. But um, the conversation was prompted by um, five young men, uh, five Māori young men, actually, that... Um, um, Sister Waimahi and I had engaged in and they were living on the street. And um, after our interaction with them, my my hope was that we'd planted some sort of hope with them mm-hmm. around ongoing support and um, opportunity. So I think hope's one. I think that would be awesome. I don't think it's controversial. I just think it's... Um, something to consider. The other one would be joy. I think we like to go to the deficit uh, kaupapa. You know, let's look at equity. No, let's look at joy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> let's look at joy and what joy looks like. It's mm. another one. No, those are the only two I can think of right now. I really appreciate that because you're you're the first person who's actually brought things that are not mm. looked at from a negative connotation for, and or you've literally brought up things that actually have been in the fuck you like they've been in the fuck you for a mm. while yeah, they have. and we've only been using and abusing that in a surface level because we don't mm. like if i'm yeah. being honest I, I i hear hope and it's only coming from a religious perspective oh wow and if i hear joy i'm only hearing that from like toxic pos- positivity it's not coming from like a place of being like joy is like what I used to feel as a child. Mm. Hope is what I was taught as a child. Wow. Mm. Yeah, because, you know, as a narcoologist, um, we practice from a space of sensory pedagogy, right? And so the pedagogy is really how you do things. So mm. to be sensory means that joy isn't just um, something you hear. It's something you feel, it's something you see. So when you think about all the senses, joy would need to be a holistic thing, you know, not just uh, what's written in the book or 
or the proverb that you get out of um, Google mm. because you need uh, some sort of affirmation to help you get through the day. And I hey, know people do that. I know people do that. And it works for some people. I, mm-hmm. I've been there. I've mm-hmm. been there. I'll get, it, I'll get on my phone and I'll Google and I'll oh, affirmation for the day. Joy. Mm. Yeah, what that look like. So, you know, I just, yeah. It's, I think that's why, um, and I think, I know if I'm really honest, because I'm coming, I'm really, I know that I'm in a position of grief um, currently because we've had some massive losses on both sides of our family. Joy is one of the aspects for me that um, sits in that grieving process because when you're with family, and I don't know what it's like in your father's family, but there's always, alongside of the tears, there's just as much laughter and joy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautiful. So, yeah, so joy's yeah, joy's a, a key focus for me at the moment. Mm. Like sitting here with you two, feeling the joy. Oh my gosh! Away, <laughs> oh, oh, the only song in my heart right in, in my head right now. Give me joy in my heart. Give me blessings. <laughs> Race Catholic. <laughs> Shout out to all the Catholic I'm sorry, listeners I'm out sorry there. I don't know that song. <laughs> oh, joy to the world. <laughs> oh, that's an, I know that one. Joy. Mm. To the world. Hey, 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 all the boys and girls. Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. Hey, hey, joy to you and me. Me, 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 me. Oh, now it's got a rap. Oh, that's a new version. That's a rap. That's a rap. All right. Thank you very much. All right. So, last question before we wrap up What brings you joy? What brings me joy? Oh, cripes. There's so many things that bring me joy. Home home brings me joy. So home, you know that saying, home is where the heart is? Mm. So home for me is on the inua of Ashitaki. Home for me is in the passenger side of Miami Darling's truck when we're cruising around. Home for me is um, sitting at the dinner table with my mokos while they're eating spaghetti trying to mess up my new carpet. <laughs> Home for me is um, watching my children do some amazing things in their community um, that just make me proud. Um, joy for me is um, watching watching my mum and my mother-in-law just being at um, their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren. That brings me a lot of joy. And joy for me is breathing. All right. And our last activity, because it's in my head and I feel like I'm going there with my oh, spontaneity. No, All right. Go. So one word, one word. So the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Love is... Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Empathy is? Peace. Vulnerability is? Wild. Restoration is? Restoration. Transformation. Beauty is? Me. Well, I'm, I'm beautiful. Sexy is? 
me. Nature is? A tapestry of relations. Moana. Oh, is that one word? No, that's, I'll just that, add is, that, that is. I'll add that is. Oh, that is. Depth. Ancestors are? Present. Past is? Present. Present is? Present. Future is? Present. I knew you were going to go there. And I, was, I, I just, I, I'm like, we're going there. So I'm like, duh, 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 duh. but yes, thank you so much for sharing your talanoa and your um, space thank with you. us. And uh, we also would like to um, invite you to, you know, if, if you got any things that you want to plug in or how do people reach out to you if they connect with your story and they want to, you know, connect with you outside of the podcast. They can contact Farku. <laughs> yep. Yep. They can contact Farku if they want to reach out. Mm. No, we'll tell you um, our, our emails on, um, and as well as our podcast um, is on Instagram. So that's FarQ Podcast on Instagram, everybody, as well as f- Facebook. We've got a Facebook page as well. I keep on forgetting that. Mm. Um, and yes, so join us for our, our intro, our, our outro, sorry. Thank you. See you later.